our first psalm lesson. Our psalm lesson is 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Amen. And then the gospel lesson comes to us from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray and always and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet... Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A turning point in my, in my prayer life was when I was getting ready for my ordination exams for the third time. I didn't pass them the first time. I didn't pass them the second time. I had one more chance, the third time. If I didn't pass them the third time, I wouldn't be standing here today. So my, my uh, mentor, my buddy, my friend, my, my pastor was good to get ready to go on vacation up to Maine, 15-hour drive, and he said, I'll be praying for you. I said, you've got a 15-hour drive. He goes, I pray while I'm driving. I said, how do you do that? He goes, I pray like I'm driving. I said, you don't shut your eyes? Oh, Ken, 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 maybe you shouldn't pass those ordination exams. (laughs) So he prayed for, he said, 12 hours, 12 hours while driving. I stand before you, the power of prayer. 
Is it best to pray standing up or sitting down? Kneeling or bowing down? Or laying down in bed? Should your hands be open? Should they be closed? Should they be lifted up to God? Do our eyes need to be closed when we pray? Is it better to pray in a church building or out in nature or in a car? Should we pray in the morning when we get up or at night before we go to bed? Are there certain words that we need to say in our prayers? How do we begin our prayers? What's the proper way to close a prayer? Well, these questions are very common questions that are asked about prayer. Again, I I say this, and I've used this so many times, and you all know this. When I ask for somebody to pray, I know what the standard position is for people to pray. They look down as if they're ready to pray. What is the proper way to pray? Do any of the above things even matter? Far too often, prayer is viewed as a magic formula. A magic formula. Some believe that if we don't say it exactly right, if we don't use the right words or say the right things or be in the right position, God will not hear and answer our prayers. It's completely unbiblical. Completely. I lift my eyes up into the hills. Jesus bowed his head and prayed. It's all over the place. God wants us to be in a communication with him. God does not answer our prayers based on when we pray, where we pray, what position we're in, what order we say the prayer in, what the words are. We're told in 1 John to have confidence, to have confidence when we come to God in prayer, knowing he hears us and will grant us whatever we ask for as long as it's his will. In the Gospel of John, he declares, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may glorify the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. According to these and many other scriptures, God answers prayer requests based on whether they are asked according to his will and in the name of Jesus to bring glory to Jesus. So what is the proper way to pray? Philippians tells us to pray without, without being anxious, to pray without ceasing, ceasing, to pray about everything and to pray with a thankful heart. God will answer all such prayers with the gift of God's peace in our hearts. The proper way to pray is to pour out our hearts to God, being honest and open with God, as God already knows us better than we know ourselves. We, we are to present our requests to God, keeping in mind that, that God knows what's best and will not grant a request that is not his will for us. We're to express our love, our gratitude, and worship to God in prayer without worrying 
about having just the right words to say. God is more interested in the content of our hearts than the eloquence of our words. The proper way to pray is to express our hearts to God. Sitting, standing, kneeling, hands open, closed, eyes open, closed, in a church, in a home. I don't recommend praying while you're driving. I don't. But it's inside, outside, in the morning, at night. They are all subject, side issues, side issues that are subject to personal preference, conviction, and appropriateness. For it's God's desire is, is for prayer to be real, to be real and have a personal connection between himself and us. According to Jesus, the best way to pray is to just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Don't fall down. Don't, don't faint. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. And today's text is about that. First of all, consider how Luke begins the story. Jesus gives us a story, a parable that folks should always pray and not lose heart. Do you remember when you first, when you first became a Christian? Do you remember the first time you got your Bible? I do. I was in second grade, just like most of us probably. Second grade, I got my Bible. Oh, man, I knew I was going to open up that Bible and the Word of God was going to leap from those pages and I was going to hear God's voice. Perhaps it was like Howard's voice. Do you remember what it was like when you first opened your Bible for the first time for daily devotions? You couldn't wait to see if God was going to speak to you, going to share something with you going to take scripture and make it more meaningful more meaningful to your heart than ever before you waited for that you longed for that perhaps after a while perhaps you even began to lose heart for whatever reason life took its toll things didn't turn out the way that you expected them to turn out you prayed for something and you prayed for something and it didn't happen it didn't happen when it should or how it should or you just began to lose heart. So maybe your spiritual life today, your devotional life today, isn't what it once was. You know, perhaps some of us have the wrong view of prayer. Some people don't see prayer as a privilege. Some people see it as a duty. Oh, yes, oh, boy, I hate when he talks about praying, don't ask me to pray because I don't do it enough. I don't know how to say it. I don't know the right words. That, that's how a lot of us respond whenever we get to any text at all about prayer. That's usually an area that we feel like we could do better in. With the wrong view, some of us think that it's a duty to pray. And not a privilege. Can you imagine what an insult it is to God if you consider prayer a duty? Oh no, God, we have to hang out with you again. 
I have to spend time with you again? That's a duty. That's a duty. When it's an absolute privilege, no, it's, it's not an insult. No, now it's a joy in your heart and a joy to God's heart. So sometimes we have a wrong view about prayer. We have, we have a wrong idea. <clears throat> also, too many of us put prayer in the wrong role. I speak to a lot of folks who have an attitude that I just mentioned. I get guilty when, whenever prayer is mentioned. I, I don't know what the words are that I should say. How can I pray in front of those people? Oh my, there's only 10 of us in the room. How can we do that? They feel guilty. They feel guilty when they, they walk away thinking, yeah, I didn't pray long enough. I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't pray fervent enough. I didn't pray well enough. Oh, my words were not very eloquent. Now, the last time I checked, prayer was never given by God as something to inflict guilt, but rather something to alleviate our guilt. To be anxious for nothing, said Paul in Philippians 4, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer brings peace, not guilt. It brings joy, not sorrow. It alleviates the burden. It shouldn't create a burden. So Jesus tells us the story, a parable that says you want to keep going and not lose heart. And he tells, I think, a very interesting story in this parable about an unjust judge. Once again, we're, we're dealing with a parable, and I talked about this about a month ago. We're dealing with the parable of a contrast, not a parable of correspondence. You get the difference, right? You remember? If this were a parable of correspondence, it would be as if, it would be as if Jesus would say, you know, you know, God in heaven is sort of like an unjust judge. And he'll answer your prayer just because you keep bugging him, like this widow. That's not it at all. What Jesus is teaching, he, he's drawing a contrast rather than making a correspondence. He's saying God is far from being an unjust judge, a God who would want to be bugged. By the, by the way, you never bug Jesus, or never bug God. He never says, oh my, you again? You again, you're praying again? Oh, you're bringing that prayer up again? Don't you know, I'm God. I'm God, I don't have time to worry about your bills, your petty problems. I created the heavens and the earth and all that's in there, and you're bothering me about your car broken down? I'm listening to Joel Olstein right now, praying. I don't have time for you. No, banish those thoughts. God is not an unjust judge. Jesus is drawing the contrast. So he says, hear what the unjust judge said. Listen to what he said about the widow. 
She's pestering me. She's bothering me. She won't leave me alone. I'll give her justice just so she won't keep coming back. Here's the difference. Here's the contrast. <clears throat> Your God, our God, is not a cold-hearted judge. Our God is a warm-hearted mother. God's a tender-hearted father. Notice the difference in the story between the relationship you and I enjoy and the kind of relationship that she had, the widow had, with this unjust judge. He's unjust and cold-hearted. She is standing in a court of justice, and you and I, on the other hand, we approach a throne of grace. Hebrews tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So she approaches the court of justice, we approach the grace of throne of grace. Second thing to make note of, she's a widow, and you and I are the bride of Christ. This was an unjust judge. We have a loving parent. And so Jesus draws the conclusion, and <clears throat> shall, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears along with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, nevertheless. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? You see, that, <clears throat> that question has always bothered me. Always bothered me. Here's a woman <clears throat> who just keeps pestering the unjust judge who really doesn't want to deal with her. And the Lord, our Lord, draws the contrast. We have a loving, tender parent who will be right there whenever we call. Whenever we cry out to avenge God's elect speedily. So when the Son of Man comes back, when he returns to this earth, will he find faith? Will he find this kind of persistent faith on earth? Real, authentic faith? And that faith is expressed in our prayers. But it's always been a haunting question. You've heard it said that all that glitters is not gold. And I would say not that all that under the umbrella of Christendom is truly authentically Christian. There are a lot of people who love to say, oh yes, oh yes, I'm a praying man. I'm a believing woman. I am a Christian, yes. You could be under the umbrella of Christendom, but are you doing Christ's work? Not all the glitters is gold. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? When, when Christ comes, we are told in Matthew, <clears throat> come you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Will we say, when did we see you in these situations? Just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And just as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I believe, I believe that our loving God gives us all that we need to do to do the work that God calls us to do. You and I are called to go, to go, to go and do, to go out, not only to spread the good news, but to feed the hungry, provide drink, clothe the naked, house the homeless, provide for those in need out of our abundance. Like Paul said, he didn't talk about tithing. He talked about giving out of our abundance, an abundance that showered down upon us. That's why I use those words. We are to go and do. Every morning in my office, I read this text. I have it, if you walk in my office and you look at my lampshade that's on my, on my desk, it's posted on my lampshade. Colossians 3, 13 to 17. Bear with one another. Forgive each other as God has done for you. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and songs to God. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God through him. And how do we give thanks? By prayer. And when we are done for the day, our closing prayer to God can be like I said last week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one. Please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and of course, on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.